Welcome to Split, the After Ever After podcast. We're here along with other experts and real people with real stories to help you navigate life after separation. Whether you're newly separated or divorced and co-parenting, listen now for tips and advice on how to build a foundation for a more peaceful future. Hello and welcome to another episode of Split, the After Ever After podcast. You are listening in with myself, Ashley Wood, and I am a certified divorce coach and... I'm Jennifer Sanders. I'm an accredited family law mediator. How are you, my friend? I'm making it through. Yeah. (laughs) We have this joke amongst ourselves. We have various ways of saying, I am, I exist. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I'm alive. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's it's a busy time. And I think as we're both, we're in the same field, right? Sometimes it depends what clients you have. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them are you know, it's, it's a lot to listen to people and help. And so sometimes I find, you know, some weeks there's a lot of high conflict Mm -hmm. and, uh, some weeks not. So, and you're, you're on, I'm in a, yeah, you're in it right now. I'm on an upswing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on an upswing. I mean, in some ways I feel like, again, I'm, we work in such similar industries, similar, similar clients that in some ways those can be so rewarding too, right. That when you have those victories and, people, you know, I've had several high conflict and then the next appointments, like we talked, we had a conversation. It's like, then those Mm. are pretty big wins. Right. So, um, I don't mind that. And I always say to people, high conflict, like the yellers, you know what the issue is because they're yelling at really vocal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So those aren't bad sometimes for when you're doing conflict resolution, because you can, you know what that conflict is. Yeah, exactly. I had, um, back to back the other day, a brand new client at the very beginning, um, hasn't like, is just preparing to announce that they want to leave. And then after that, I had a client who's very near the finish line, still going to be co-parenting. So not, yeah. (laughs) Is there ever a finish line? Right. Yeah. When you die. Yeah. But it was just so interesting. I mean, you just, things can feel so intense in the early stages and you think like, I am never going to make it through this. It's just, everything feels so heavy, so insurmountable. And then, um, but you know, we do get through it. Yeah. Like we wake up the next day and it's like, okay, here we go. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting for sure. Well, and it is, it's a privilege to help people in that journey, right? That you Mm -hmm. can kind of see. Yeah. And then at the end, they, they are in a bit of a better place. Um, yeah. than when they started Mm -hmm. and sometimes to recall to people who are in the middle of it, who are still facing challenges to look backwards as well as forwards and say, okay, but remember when this happened and you also yeah. felt like we were just not going to get through it, but you did by doing X, Y, and Z, and those are your strengths. Right. So we can do that again here. So yes. And the beginning is always the hardest, I think, because the, it's the unknown, right? There's lots of fear people that know. So I find once they start some sessions some mediation, then they start to see, okay, this person is not out to get me. And you know, yeah. it usually settles a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
So today we have two guests um, on the show with us, Helen Yak and Gabby Silverberg. They are two registered social workers. Um, Their background, they both work together for child protective services Mm -hmm. in Toronto, I believe. Uh, And then they teamed up to create Rise Up Counseling, which is a really interesting um, business. They're essentially a one-stop shop for uh parents going through divorce high conflict divorce um or just regular regular old conflict (laughs) yeah regular level of conflict yeah they did a great job explaining their business and how they started it and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and their background in child protective services was really interesting and i think they just provided a lot of valuable information um when it comes to we've talked about this a lot on the show lately when parents have different a different approach to how they're parenting what is disagreeable versus what is unacceptable what is actually actionable and what to do in either scenario so yeah lots of tips in this one yep lots of info and that's a really really key point and i think people will hear even if you don't have a super high conflict that that knowing when to how to straddle that line of when it's appropriate to say something when it isn't always always comes into play so yeah that's good info here all right enjoy helen and gabby welcome to the show thank you so much for joining us this evening thank you for having us thank you so much yeah so we've got a lot to cover tonight but before we jump into some of the questions that we had in our outline if you could uh, both introduce yourselves and uh, talk a little bit about your individual backgrounds and then what led you to team up and create rise up counseling sure so um, i'll start my name is gabby silverberg i'm a registered social worker Um, i've been in the field practicing for over 20 years but primarily my um my experience comes from the child welfare uh, field where i participated in many different areas from doing assessments to working with families on long-term basis to uh, even training new workers as a, you know, um, and as a supervisor. So I ended my career there supporting a, a team of frontline workers. Um, I was also very active in peer support, so recognizing the trauma that, that my colleagues had experienced, and also uh, was very involved in creating um, what was called a family-centered conference and being able to pull family together and recognizing that they were the experts and in, in trying to create solutions for their children who may not be in their care or there may be other struggles associated with what's happening and their involvement with child welfare. So, you know, I'm very fascinated by trauma and the impact onto children when there's struggles in in families. Um, But uh, so that was a huge part of my um, uh, career. Um, And then, but on a personal level, one of the reasons why we got into Rise Up, and I'll let Helen introduce herself, but my personal experience really drives from my own divorce that happened um, a decade ago, and my children were super young. So being a you know uh, in the field of child welfare and knowing a lot about the impact of children and that emotional stress 
that comes from a, maybe a high conflict kind of divorce, I had to really take some time to uh, examine my own strengths and where I, my limitations were and, you know, and, and got the help that I needed anything from, you know, counseling to be parenting techniques, like my toolbox was not working. And so I needed some other strategies, um, consulting about making sure that I'm doing everything I can to not make it a high conflict situation, you know, having a lawyer to try to ensure that my interests were well um, taken care of. And but emotionally, it was really tough. And um, but I was very focused on trying to resolve things as quickly as possible, because I knew what the impact could be on my kids if it was prolonged. So um, but it's hard. Emotionally, it was really hard. So for me, there was always um, uh, a passion around trying to support people. And then I would have I was one of the first ones in my sort of people that I knew who got uh, divorced and, you know, following that I would people come up to me and say, so what do I do? How do I manage this? What do I, what, how do I, what do I do next? And I'd give them the strategies I knew, but every situation was so different. So, you know, um, so then that led into sort of thoughts about Rise Up, but I'm going to let Helen introduce herself and then we'll get into sort of how did, you know, how did we get to really developing this one-stop shop where we support people in their separation and divorce? Thanks, Gab. Um, so just Gabby and I actually met over 20 years ago at Children's Aid. We locked eyes in the kitchen, you know, when <laughs> we were first starting and we've been, you know, uh, friends since then. So we met uh, in the trenches at Children's Aid over 20 years ago. Um, so like Gabby, I'm a registered social worker and I've also been practicing for over 20 years and I started off um, in child welfare and I actually thought that I literally would you know, die working there because it's one of those places where you just go and you fought, you know, you, you either love it or you hate it. And we were definitely lifers. We called ourselves the lifers there. Um, except for that, after 18 years, it was time for me to kind of reevaluate and, and take a shift. So I did work there for 18 years. And during that time, uh, my work was around children who were in foster care and in group homes. Um, I did a lot of, you know, supervising access visits. I did a lot of reunification, um, managing how these kids were taken, you know, um, taken care of in homes um, and making sure that that their family was still very much included in the plan and that they were not um, completely taken out of their their child's lives. Um, I too have, you know, was part of the peer support program. Um, when I left Children's Aid, I continued to do some trauma work. Um, you know, people who have had brain injuries and, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, you know, child welfare doesn't ever leave your bones. It, it like it's, it's ingrained in you. And so um, despite everything I was doing, I kept going back to the love because I love the system. I love what they do. And, and the work around it is so important um, from a personal perspective. I also was impacted by divorce as a child. I was a, um, my parents had a, um, a high conflict divorce, but at the time I didn't know there was no name. Like we didn't call it high conflict. I just knew it was really messed up and that, you know, we were not functioning very well. My parents were not doing a very good job. We were also immigrants. And so, you know, they were really limited to the resources they had and they did the best that they could. But, um, you know, now kind of looking back, um, I think about, oh my God, how, how crazy it really was. Um, and being able to put a name to it and then thinking how great it would be to help people to not go down that path. Um, so, you know, from a personal level, that's kind of where, um, 
where you know it, it brought us to to rise up um and I'll, I'll pass it on to gabby as to sort of where i mean where really it started gabby be honest <laughs> yeah so i mean it really started from our passion of, of wanting to support kids um who are impacted by this high conflict uh sort of separation divorce and we recognize that there's a there's a gap in the system so in child welfare you know if you're involved in a in separation and divorce and let's say there's a separation order you know it's not really touched because there's already court orders in place and you can't really um move away from that you can't you can't you have to follow those court orders. So, um, you know, child welfare doesn't touch a lot on that, but lots of people don't know where to go. We see kids who are emotionally impacted and our principal focus is always around supporting the children and making sure that we can get them through this very difficult time. So we're not here to try to pull parents back together. We're not here to resolve marriage conflict. We're here to say, yes, marriages don't work. Relationships break down. And how can we best support you through a very difficult process? And how can we make sure that we're not, you know, pigeonholing you into a particular way to manage that? Because everyone manage these things differently. So from understanding um, from our from our experience, we understand child development, we understand emotional impact, and we understand in terms of the therapeutic struggles that people have or bring to the table when they're managing, when they're going through this separation divorce. So the traumatic stuff, we understand and there's grief associated with it. So our social work background, our ability to bring in those theories and, and um, perspectives help people, or we hope are helping people to give them those tools and strategies to move through this very difficult process. And that's how we got Rise Up. So it's a one-stop shop where we provide therapeutic interventions, we provide how to coach through some parenting plan strategies, all from a therapeutic sort of underpinning um, of under, so the people can comprehend how their emotion might be driving their behavior. Um, and so we want to be able to formulate a, a plan based on what the needs of the family is. I think what Gabby is missing, though, just it was actually a weekend, a girls weekend away. We both had <laughs> okay. week, and we're yeah. like, I cannot do this anymore. And we developed this like 10 year plan, which took a little bit longer in the 10 years. But that's true. Really where Rise Up was born. It was just after a really good girls weekend and a really crappy week at work. Right. OK, <laughs> so I know you're saying and I mean, we see that, too, that every situation is different. We can't, you know, just pigeonhole people in, in that terminology that you use but do you see um really common mistakes that are coming up a lot um places where you find like education on certain issues is commonly helpful that are creating conflict common areas um I, yeah i can start yes absolutely there are definitely common mistakes that we're seeing um you know in our practice we're seeing um a variety of you know both you know moms and dads and 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 um and step parents and so we're seeing a lot of different players in in the families and so what i would say is is that you know one of the the biggest mistakes that i see families make or or parents is that they're driven by their emotions and they are not able to actually, you know, put those aside for a second to focus on their children. Um, you know, there's affairs involved. There's bankruptcy, uh, bankruptcy involved. There's lies involved. And people are angry. 
And you know what? They're allowed to be angry. Absolutely. And we work with them around, you know, separating that anger from parenting. And so, you know, I say this over and over and over again, you are entitled to hate your ex. You can hate your ex all you want, um, but you have to love your children more. And so if you can love your child more than you hate your ex, you can start putting in um, resources and strategies to make things better. Um, I think, you know, also parents are very, um, because of, because they're driven by emotions, they want to, um, make sure that they get the person, right. They want, they, they want, um, uh, they, they want to make sure that they're, you know, retaliating. They want to make sure that they're getting, you know, um, payback. And so, you know, instead of working with them and finding ways to support them, they want revenge. And, and they want to the win, best? right? They, they want to win. win. They want to win. And they yeah. want to prove yeah. that their partners suck. Yep. They, they never made a healthy meal with, you know, in, in our 15 years of marriage, they don't even know how to cook. Like I did all the cooking. So instead of, you know, managing your expectations and saying like, Okay, so they're not gourmet chefs. Okay, so they're not going to have maybe all of their daily, you know, suggested foods in one sitting. That's okay. Um, but parents are just seeking revenge and they're using children as their as their as their weapon. The divorce journey can bring with it an emotional roller coaster of challenges. Whether you are navigating co-parenting, a high-conflict ex, dating after divorce, or more in this new chapter, it's totally normal to feel overwhelmed and at times really lonely. That's why I'm excited to tell you all about Circles. Circles is an emotional support platform that connects you with a small group of others who are going through divorce in a safe online space. Guided by mental health professionals, Circles meet weekly in group video meetings and provide support in a 24-7 group chat. And guys, at $79 a month, that's less than the cost of a single therapy session. You don't have to go through this alone. Support is available. Head to circlesup.com and use promo code SPLIT2022 to get the first month free and join your circle today. Gavin, do you want to add anything to that? Um, sure. I mean, what I would want to add is not only is their emotion driving their behavior, they have that what the common mistake is, is that once a marriage is over, the roles change. So the roles that may have brought down the relationship, whether it's like you said, an affair, or there's alcoholism or whatever the case, people use those as coping mechanisms. That's not necessarily the reason that's the, that those are not the symptoms. That's the, or the, that's not the cause of the marriage breakdown. Those are some of the symptoms of why the marriage broke down. So being able to recognize that someone may be different or change and not the same person as they were in the marriage, but how do you look at them as a parent outside the marriage and not as a uh, partner? Because those, so establishing how the roles have changed and being able to sort of give people opportunity. And if you give people opportunity to parent, and um, and reestablish those roles and responsibilities, you may see what the real light looks like. So can they step up to the plate? Can they actually fulfill their duties? Because it is about the fight. It's like, our marriage is breaking up. I want 50-50, that's it. 
Well, whether they can handle 50-50 or not is yet to be seen, but to not give them an opportunity to parent the way that they maybe never had an opportunity to parent is really up to the kids. It's up to that particular parent with the child. And so how do we teach parents to stay out of the way of the other parent? And how do we teach them to not be the savior or the, you know, the rescuer of trying to save them? That other parent is an awful parent. Well, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but your kid has to realize that. And I'm basing it on kids that might be a little bit older, who are more verbal, more right. ta- you know, age and development play a huge part in all of this as well. So those are things that need to take into consideration. But that's one of the mistakes that parents get trying to really interfere with the other parents um, relationship with the children. Right. Yeah, I see that. It's so interesting to hear how you describe it, because it's just so similar. Yeah, to what I see, too. I think it takes hard emotional work if your marriage has broken down and yeah, maybe, you know, dad wasn't helping out with the kids and you kind of use that as a reason. And now Mm -hmm. it's hard to accept that maybe actually he is a good dad and he's going to spend time with them and it's, it's going to be different without you. Um, I see that all the time too. I I also have clients that they'll say like, you know, I asked them for years to take, you know, Sunday off for years and they never did or I would ask them for years to go on vacation they never went on vacation and then they get separated and guess what they're off on Sundays they're going on vacation life is just looking very different and it's very hard to accept as an ex-partner when you weren't part of that you weren't part of that initially and it's it's challenging it is hard yeah Yeah. It's, it's I think that's undeniable it's really tough And I think there's this other piece too, where depending on the situation, of course, and if communication is really even possible at certain points, but looking at supporting your co-parent for, for your, for the benefit of your children, because I think sometimes people are resistant. Well, why should I help? You know, they're not helping me or they weren't there for X number of years. Why should I be doing this now? Like, if this is what they want, they want this amount of time you're gonna have to figure it out. And it's like, okay, but where are the kids in all of this? And yeah. So that's so interesting because Helen and I just had a conversation earlier today. And one of the things we talked about is again, not getting stuck into a triangle. So how can that other parent be a neutral participant? So it's not standing in the way, not being the rescuer. You don't wanna make excuses for the other parent and you don't want, so in terms of whatever their behavior is and you don't wanna put the other parent down. You have to play a level of neutrality Mm -hmm. because it really is up to the other parent to establish their role. And there's some empathy involved there. So if that parent, if that one parent happens to be a kick-ass parent, they do everything. They've been in charge of the house and the repairs and, you know, roles were established where they did all the cooking and they're an amazing baker with the kids or whatever the case may be, that's their skill set. One of the best gifts you can give to the other parent is to get out of the way and to say, I'm not going to do Sunday morning breakfast anymore. It's up to you. But don't criticize how bad the pancakes are. Don't criticize that they take them out every Sunday for breakfast because they don't know how to make scrambled eggs. It doesn't matter. But if they step up to the plate and they do it, that's good for the kids. And if they don't, then then you know, and they're going to know. So there's, it's all about just taking that step back and not waiting for the other parent to take the initiative. They're not going to do it. There's fear involved. There's shame involved. So, you know, that's some of the work that we do with our clients as well, is seeing it from the other side, that 10,000 foot view looking down at the picture. 
And, and our expectations are different than our kids' expectations. Like what we would judge as, you know, oh, the pancakes were terrible. Like you said, I mean, kids are just happy to make a mess in the kitchen and have this yeah. experience. You put enough maple syrup on anything, it's going to taste good. Like, Done. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, yeah. One, oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, what? one of the other examples that we've spoken in the past about is when there's the... Um, the birthdays and the father's day and the mother's day where some partners are like, Oh, I'm not getting involved. I'm not doing anything like that's their problem. But you know, when you think when you can stop for a minute and just kind of think, what is it like for the child to show up? And I'm talking, you know, maybe a younger child who doesn't have the ability to, um, to go and buy a present or be thoughtful enough to kind of, you know, make it special for that person. But, you know, um, wouldn't it be nice for the child to come with um, a Mother's Day card or a Father's Day card? I'm not saying go spend millions of dollars. Draw a little picture. Happy Father's Day. Because for the child, what it means is so much greater than what it means for the receiving parent. And so, but it, but it takes a lot of, you know, um, vulnerability to be able to say, let's make a card for daddy. You know what? Like you're going to go see him. Let's make a card and you're going to give him a little, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, that is one way of really demonstrating that you're in it for the children. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a way of um, speaking to your clients or dealing with that issue that we end up talking about so much about what behavior that is disagreeable and behavior that is unacceptable? And I know this is just something that newly divorced parent, newly separated parents, co-parents are constantly trying to maneuver. And additionally, sometimes ongoing disagreeable behavior does become unacceptable. True. Um, so do you have ways in, you know, how you'd speak with your clients about that and help them distinguish that and, and have positive communications surrounding that? Sure. Helen, you want me to get this? Go for it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So it's and it's a great point because it really is able to distinguish, you know, how much you intervene and how much you like we've talked about step away and be that neutral person. And it really is allowing them the opportunity to have that time to grow with their parent. So even though you disagree with their food choices, even though you disagree with how they may spend their time with them, or disagree some of those parenting styles. So they're even discipline techniques. You may disagree on things like that. So, you know, you want to be able to be on the same page as much, much as possible, but bedtime may look different from one house to the other. When it's time to remove the baby soother may be different from the other. That may be disagreeable points there because kids are going to learn. If you understand child development, kids are going to are resilient on the one hand, but are going to blend into the home environment. They're going to just merge into whatever the home environment is. So in one house, they actually might want the soother and the other hand in one house, they may not, but it doesn't mean that, they, you know, just because you disagree, those are the things that we would talk about in terms of letting go or toilet training or situations like that. The when it becomes unacceptable is when the impact onto the child becomes more intrusive. So things like um, when one parent is like when that child is like, you know, things are happening at school or they're missing, they're getting late, right? So they, if the child is late every day when they're with one parent at school, that impacts them, that impacts their socialization, they're able to fit in with the rest of the class or missing the, you know, the, the morning routines, that can start impacting onto their behavior. And their, um, that that is something that may be unacceptable and needs to be tweaked. Anything that would relate would go right into the um, 
borderlining things or even beyond things that are like abuse and neglect, right? So, you know, um, things like inappropriate discipline, things that are like, you know, uh, physical discipline, things that are criminalized physical discipline, obviously you want to get involved. So when you think of things as unacceptable, I would think of things like, do you need to get other systems involved? Right. Are you starting to call the police? Do you need to get children's aid involved? Do you need to call your lawyer? Right. Those are the things that are now leading towards the unacceptable behavior. Um, Is that child starting to, you know, establish different like mutism? Are they not talking anymore? Are they is there fear that you're noticing fear based like anything that's going to impact onto that child's life is something that would become more unacceptable. Right. Regressive behavior. Those regressive. Yeah. And I'm not talking toilet training regressive. Like if you've got a three-year-old who's like not toilet training in one house, but toilet training, that's fine. But yeah. if you've got a 10-year-old who's bedwetting in one house and not the other, we're talking child development here. You need to have a clear understanding of what the differences would be, right? Mm-hmm. And it's tough sometimes. I've seen parents, as I'm sure you have seen, I've seen parents, you know, we all know that kids have accidents and make mistakes. My nine-year-old broke her elbow out playing, dancing in the snow. And, um, you know, no one was calling CAS on me, but I have parents who they absolutely did, right? That was neglect. You should have been out there. You should have been watching. So it, it's hard sometimes to work out when you've got parents that want to get each other, like you said, and they want to win they think you know there's no room for mistake there's no benefit of the doubt and um or they feel like they've been we were talking about this i think a week ago or so they feel like they've been attacked and like they're under the microscope so then they feel like they need to do the same back to have enough evidence that of the other person's wrongdoing so that they look like they're equals yeah and yeah and how they can parent it's a slippery slope yeah. Well, that's where it becomes dangerous. And because I mean, really, again, we're looking at the children, they get interviewed, you know, yeah. they, 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 this creates a fear in them, they don't know what to say or how to say it, it lacks transparency, and honesty around how things can happen. Like, things I I my do, my son was three and he had an accident at our cottage and I and this I was separated it was like the first summer I was separated and I oh, I oh my god it was awful and he like yeah. hit his head and it was really scary and thank god you know my ex didn't do anything and he respectfully understood that there was a this was an accident but if you were I mean uh, the anger that would come out in me and I, I don't even know if I would be able to manage it well I was already feeling so guilty that there was an accident so you just like like it, then it perpetuates the issue. Right. right? Yep. Uh, I was also going to add just alienation is a huge part in, in what we're seeing now, right? So when we talk about um, unacceptable, it's when one parent is, um, you know, purposely trying to have uh, their child not have contact with the other parent. And so, you know, it's, this is a form of abuse and this is a form of, it, it is completely, it is not a disagreement. It is unacceptable. And so as you can see, and I mean, you know, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but the courts are really coming down on people who um, are acting in this way. And so part of the work that we're doing with them is, okay, you, you always hear, well, how can I force my kid to get into the car? I can't force my kid to get into the car. So we're having conversations around, okay, maybe not, but what, what, 
what's the language you're using? What are the conversations you're having? Um, and so we're doing a lot of work around how their actions are impacting their children that are not um, supporting them in wanting to have contact with the other parent. Um, I, that's a much bigger conversation, but it just kind of falls into sort of the difference between disagreement and unacceptable behaviors. Can you expand on that just a bit? Like, yes, that's definitely probably a conversation for a whole other podcast episode. But what are some common mistakes that a parent might make that would lead them to target the other parent and alienate them without this, you know, heinous intent to really like to totally alienate the other parent but their actions are act that it has become the consequence right so um yeah so we actually i think we did we, we did this on not too long ago either on a on a story or on a on a live or something i don't remember but we were talking exactly about this where um when the conversation goes something like this mommy's gonna miss you so much I, I don't know what I'm gonna do without you all weekend I'm gonna be so lonely I think I'm gonna cry go go have a good time with daddy but I'm gonna be so upset okay so you tell me how any the child you know at the age of five six seven is going to want to leave their mother's home after they are exposed to a whole conversation about how distraught that parent's going to be without them um, things like, um, you're not going to have a good time. And you know what? You're going to miss, you know, cousin Susie's birthday party. There's going to be, you know, balloons and clowns and ponies. I can't believe you're going to miss it. You have to go to daddy's this weekend. Mm -hmm. So when parents are not thinking about the messaging that they're giving to their children, and even though they're not saying, don't go, I don't want you to go, um, everything indirectly they're saying is impacting that child before they get into the car. Um, so we've had like, you know, I've actually role played with parents about what is, the, what is the conversation you're going to have with them? Yes, there's hesitation. Um, yes, you know, they, they may not be jumping to go but they're not saying they don't want to go so let's role play and so we literally go back and forth and role play what if your child says this what if your child says that um but those are kind of the common mistakes that people are making um or when they're parents think that children can't hear them when they're in another room or when they're lying with their phone you know their phone is left around and they go to play their phone and they're reading text messages and children are hearing their parents say I can't believe they have to go you know I'm going to call my lawyer this is wrong I don't want this anymore I need to have 100% cast you know parents say to me all the time oh, you know what, well, let's meet, but my child's in the next room. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going to meet with you when your child's yeah, in the next yeah. room. And so it's just understanding that it's direct and it's indirect. And there are so many ways that you can um, encourage your child to go who might seem hesitant. And then maybe ask why. What is, what is causing the hesitation? Is it that they're not allowed to sleep with Blanky when they get there? Is it that they really are upset they're going to miss cousin Susie's birthday so if that's the case you know what make an alternate plan we'll get together with cousin Susie cousin Susie later you know next week when you're here we'll have them over we'll have pizza we'll we'll you know we'll have a little party so it's really also just trying to get to why why is it that they're not going in often of course if it's not you know the, the big alienation cases but if it's often just some hesitation there's some reason why they don't want to go and usually the reason is quite small but they just need to feel heard. They need to feel heard. 
Yeah. So speaking about that, and if you can talk about, I mean, anyone who's getting into any sort of a high conflict separation is going to hear this voice of the child's terminology. Um, Can you explain to our audience what that is and when is it appropriate to be using voice of the child or to be bringing children at all into mediation, into counseling, into the process? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a, it's a great um, pro, it's a great idea to be able to ensure that children's voices are heard. And we know through inquests that that have recently happened in Ontario that it's important that choices that children's voices are heard. And um, so, one of the ways that this can happen is through a voice of the child. So it's a process where kids' views and preferences are shared in either a mediation or court process. And the way that this happens is they are um, interviewed, although everyone needs to be in agreement. So parents and children need to all agree and support that the process is going to happen. And it has to be quite neutral. So when children are interviewed, when you get to that point, after sort of eliminating that there's any potential um, parental like um, alienation stuff happening or intimate intimate partner violence like you have to rule those those elements out and once those elements are removed and it is really a great candidate really the family is a great candidate then you interview the children after you interview the parents each interview the children while they're in the care of each parent individually so they're not feeling that there's an element of like when they're with um, one parent that, um, you know, the, the, they get information there and then let's see if the information is the same from the other parent, And then that helps balance it out. However, really the only thing that is shared is what the children choose to get shared. So they get the choice. They have, uh, they can say everything they want to say. And at the end of the process, you say, so how, what would you like me to share with your parents? What would you like the judge to hear? What would you like the mediator to know? And then those, that information is the information that's shared. Everything else is confidential. If they don't want it, they don't have to do it. So we look at kids that are about seven and up. We also look at their developmental age and stage to make sure they're capable of having these interviews. And you have to make sure that they also consent to it. In your experience, are parents, oh, sorry, go ahead, Helen. No, I, I'm just going to add that I, I think it's, um, there's a lot of value when, um, when children's voices are heard in their own language. And so it usually has, it can have more of an impact onto the parents than it is just for someone doing an assessment saying, I think this. But really it's when, and, and, you know, and I did this all the time when, when, I, when kids were in foster care talking about what that would look like when they would go home, what it is that they needed. I, as a worker, would say something and the parent would be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But when their child is saying, I don't want to be left home alone anymore, I'm scared. Then the parent is like, okay, I got it. Um, so really making sure that that it's what they're saying in their language and in their words could have impact on their children. But, you know, we, we all know that it doesn't always, but it certainly can yeah, and do, do you find in, in your experience in doing these reports that parents are often surprised at what their children say and may even contradict some of the beliefs they held prior to the report? I, I think that parents sometimes 
you know, think they hear what they want to hear. And I think having a level of insight and perspective is very challenging for most parents who are going through this process. So that doesn't eliminate doing a voice of the child report. And those reports, like it sometimes takes a while for them to even get started because there's hesitation, there's fear. What if I'm doing the best I can, but my kids really still don't want to be with me or don't want to be with me the 50% that I'm really fighting for because I think I'm supposed to fight for 50%, even though I work, you know, you know, 50 hours a week and travel for work, right? So, you know, people, they, they fight because they think that they have to fight for their kids. And sometimes that insight, and sometimes having that, that personal insight, that perspective is so challenging, um, that ego that gets in the way of the process. Thank you both so much. We covered a ton in this episode. I know it was just value packed for our listeners. Um, and I really appreciate too. I just want to circle back to the beginning, Gabby, when you really opened up and explained that you yourself, even with your uh, professional experience needed support and had to add some tools to your toolbox. Um, and just that you, you recognize that and, um, you know, like you just said, talking about our our ego and really keeping that in check and just how important it is to get a variety of support for all of these different areas and aspects of the process. And it's really incredible. Like you said, you're a one-stop shop, how much you offer to parents. So yeah, really, really great. Um, what is, we're going to include uh, links to, you know, your website and where people can find you in the show notes, but can you share with our listeners now the best place, uh, the best way for them to get in contact with you if you have anything coming up that you want to share with us and our listeners? Um, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, we don't actually, we've been doing Facebook lives, but we, we actually, well, we have a separation and divorce group on Facebook, particularly for those living in Ontario. Um, it's growing quite nicely. It's a nice supportive group and it's literally, it's a very creative name, separation and divorce for those in Ontario. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're, you can find us on Instagram at Rise Up Counseling. Um, you can, but the best way to get in touch with us is uh, through email at info at riseupcounseling.com. And I always feel the need that I have to say that um, counseling is with two L's and not yes. one. <laughs> we get that a lot. And then they say, anyway, it's two L's, not one. Um, yeah. And, and through our website, we have a contact us uh, section, www.riseupcounseling.com um, that you can send us a message through there as well. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Take care. Be well. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.